situation in our country and with family and friends is so concerning right now that many of us are very distracted. So unless you're reading a really gripping novel, and that's what I didn't write, but uh, it's easier to sit down with a book that hopefully was thoughtfully and intentionally written over a number of years, but is on many different topics so they can say, okay, you know, this one, yes, this today, this, God must have put this one in here for me. This is Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Chris Johnson, and today I have Maggie Rowe with me. And Maggie uh, may be just an old friend, at least that's the way I feel about her. She's a speaker, blogger, and dramatist, and today we're going to talk about her new book, and I'll share more about that. But when I saw dramatist, I see that she has traveled throughout the United States and various places abroad performing original one-woman dramas that she has written. So you can see she's got that creative side to her. And she has an undergrad degree and graduate degree from Wheaton College. So I think she knows a thing or two about the Bible since her master's is in biblical studies. And in her writing, she has contributed to more than 10 books, including devotional Bibles. And now she brings us her first book, This Life We Share, 52 Reflections on Journeying Well with God and Others. So Maggie, welcome to Charisma Connection. Thank you, Chris. I am so thrilled to be here. I've listened to Charisma Connection myself. Um, I've worked with a number of your hosts and staff members over the years in different capacities. And of course, I've worked with you and it's such a privilege to be on the show on, on this side of the microphone. Yes, great to have you. Now, one of your endorsers said that reading this book, This Life We Share, is like taking a road trip with a best friend. Now, during this time of COVID, everybody could use a road trip right now. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that really sounds appealing. But when you were writing, were you aiming for that type of feel? Uh well, that's interesting, Chris, because I wrote this book, in a sense, over a number of years. It, uh, part of it started out in my blog, which I now call View from the Ridge, because our home in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina is called Peace Ridge. Hmm. So I blog and give people a view from the ridge. But as I've been blogging for years, it actually attracted the attention of NavPress, who is now my publisher. And they read that and said, I think you've got a book in you. And, and so the book which we call This Life We Share, really originated from the blog, which in a sense is sort of my life's journey as a woman of a certain age. I like to put that in air quotes. Um, <laughs> on the shady side of 65, which I never mind telling people because it's, it's a privilege to reach this age. You know, you do gain a number of life lessons. And whenever I write, Chris, or in this case have compiled a series of reflections on living well with God and others into a book, it's with the earnest desire to come alongside others and say, and say, oh, friend, you are not alone. Wherever you are in this journey, whether you're at a really delightful bend in the road or you're at a difficult place, uh, whether you're in a waiting period or you're full steam ahead in, in uh, wonderful life experiences, or if you've been totally side railed by grief and loneliness, wherever you are, 
there are those of us who can identify with you. So when I wrote this, it was with the desire that this would be for readers of all ages, women in particular, but uh, surprisingly, we have had a lot of men reading the book as well. Some of them surreptitiously when their wife sets it down and they'll pick it up <laughs> and say, oh, this topic doesn't interest me, but this one does. So, so back to your question, that journey theme really did develop over a number of years. And when we published the book, we decided that would be the connecting thread uh, throughout the entire book. Wonderful. Now, you include a reflection, uh, 52 reflections, so you could read one every week of the year or however you like. But I love some of the titles of your chapters or reflections. The Pennsylvanian in me appreciated Reflection 39, what the Amish can teach us about hospitality. Now, that sounds fun to me. And then you also have a probing question in Reflection 45. Do I love to tell the story? Good question. Mm. And the one many of us ask in Reflection 48, what was I thinking? (laughs) I just love these titles. (laughs) Well, Chris, thank you for picking those out. I've done a number of interviews, some national, some regional. And it's interesting, each host has picked up on topics that that struck them, which is really why we wrote it the way we did. My wonderful editor, Caitlin Carlson, uh, who's in a different life season than I am, uh, when I originally sent in the 52, I put them in an order I thought made sense to me. And then with her, you know, every writer needs an editor. With her wonderful pair of eyes, she said, no, let's, let's, let's group them this way. So that as you see in the first part of the book is on uh, the inner journey, how we manage our emotions and anything from anxiety and worry to, to finding joy when it's elusive to wondering if we're good enough for the work we've been called to. And then the second part is on uh, the relational journey. How do we manage our relationships with family, friends, uh, building community around us? Uh, the third part is then on the intentional journey. Actually, I think I rearranged it. The, I don't have the book in front of me, but I think the mm-hmm. second part is the intentional journey, which is the choice, everyday choices we make. The third part is the relational journey. And then the fourth, most important of all, is about the God whose presence is infused in every moment of our journey. So the, the ones that you called out are in different sections of the book. And what we wanted readers to be able to do is to know that we live in an era where attention spans are short. Mine certainly are. To sit down and read a 268-page book from start to finish is just time a lot of people, a lot of us don't have. But to be able to sit down and say, Lord, this is how I'm feeling today what do you have to say to me about it? And then be able to pick up something that says, oh, okay, I'm struggling with my marriage or I'm going through this with my kids or, or my own emotions are what are sabotaging me today. For them to be able to flip through the table of context and read these reflections in any order they choose, that's, that's how the book is designed so that people can kind of cherry pick and say, no, not this one, but, um, but this, yes, this this is what the Lord I needed, I knew I needed today. And I call that the Holy Spirit highlighter syndrome. That, That's good. Uh, probably a lot of our listeners are like you and I. We listen with a, a highlighter in our hands so that we can underline or uh, emphasize something. And when I wrote it, I said, Lord, as readers go through it, would you highlight that which is in the book that you put in there specifically for them? 
because as you know, uh, Chris, it's a Christian living book, but it has devotional elements. It has uh, key scriptures. It has questions for personal reflection or small group discussion. Uh, it has what I call lifelines, which are after people read two to three page reflection, there's one takeaway that they can think, okay, if there's one thing I could get from this, one thing that can help me navigate my day, it would be this lifeline. So, um, so it was very much written so that readers wouldn't feel like, oh, this, I'm going to have to read this whole thing through and I just don't have time. Um, it's written very specifically so they can, they can read whatever fits their felt need um, on on the day of their choice. Yes, and sometimes it's not a matter of time, but it's a matter of can I focus? <laughs> I've got so much going yeah. on in my mind, you know. <laughs> a lot of us too, Chris, I, I can't tell you how many uh, friends have said to me that they have COVID brain. It's mm. sort of like friends who have been on the cancer journey who have said, I am so distracted because I think I have chemo brain. Yes. Well, COVID brain, I think... There, there was this feeling a lot of us had when all this the shutdown started back late this winter, early this spring, that, oh, we'd have all kinds of time to read, to organize our closets, to, to learn a new skill or maybe learn to play an instrument. And many people have said, you know what, that hasn't happened. Yes, I've had more time, but, but our, our situation in our country and with family and friends is so concerning right now that many of us are very distracted. Mm-hmm. So unless you're reading a really gripping novel, and that's what I didn't write, <laughs> but um, it's easier to sit down with a book that hopefully was thoughtfully and intentionally written over a number of years, but is on many different topics so they can say, okay, you know, this one, yes, this today, this, God must have put this one in here for me. So um, I think you're right. It's not always time. Sometimes it's distraction. Now th- this this book is your is your first book, Maggie. Yeah, now, now come on, yeah. you you are retired from your career with a, a publishing house. So why did you make us wait this long, Maggie? <laughs> you know, Chris, if I'd have one encouragement for those who are listening to us is is don't don't refuse to um, how do I put it? When God opens the door, walk through that door. I did that with this book, but I have to tell you, it was my own sense of inadequacy, my own sense of perhaps not being good enough that kept me from ever trying. I did work in publishing. In fact, my professional career for a number of years was as a book publicist. It was booking reviews and getting interviews for for other authors to get their message out. But I didn't believe that anybody would ever publish the kind of things that I write. Well, I was wrong, <laughs> but it's sort of like God, as I like to say, he put his His loving foot, in a sense, on my backside <laughs> and said, you're not going to do this for yourself, so I'm going I'm to give you a loving but firm push that you've waited long enough. It's time to, to share the life lessons that you have. And so if I could encourage our listeners, Chris, is that it's never too late to do the work God has given us to do. I, I did not believe in myself to ever even submit a book proposal, um, thinking, oh, that's for other people. It's my job to help them get their message out, not for me to have a message myself. But of course, nobody can tell our stories the way that we can. And 
there's a quotation I like to use. I think it was written by an author of some generations ago called Henry Van Dyke, who said, use the talents you possess. The woods would be very silent if no birds sang there, except those who sang best. And that statement has meant a lot to me because when you work in publishing, as you do and as I have, you're surrounded by very gifted people. And uh, and I felt, okay, it's my job to serve them, and it still is. I love to get the word out about uh, others' messages. But But I think I kept myself from ever trying because I thought, oh, I could never write like they can. Well, no, we can't. God says that we are not to compare ourselves with others, but instead to focus on the work he has given us to do, um, you know, and not to compare. So, so I think that's why this book didn't come out till I was 67. And Chris, I'm so grateful that in our culture, we have faith-based publishers like NavPress, uh, represented by Tyndale House, who believe that both men and women of a certain age have things to share that we couldn't have shared 10 or 20 or 30 years ago when we were, uh, you know, of an age that tends to be so celebrated in our culture. You know, the Western world is a youth-oriented culture. But just today I was reading about the fact that there are now over 50 million of us who are over 65. And many that I know, Chris, who are like myself, who have retired from one vocation, are now doing other things. And we take very seriously the biblical mandate to come alongside the younger generation, to mentor, to encourage them, to let them know, yes, we've been where you are. And, oh, beloved, you will make it. You will. It, this is not, this is the chapter you're living, but it's not the end of the story. And that's a perspective, Chris. If I had started writing books in my 30s, 40s, even 50s, I wasn't there yet. So I've been very much inspired by the stories of older men and women in scriptures, like the siblings, uh, Moses, uh, Miriam, Aaron, um, others, Abraham and Sarah, of course, others to whom God, God gave the greatest life tasks to them in their senior years. And I think that's what he's doing for many who are in my generation as well. Absolutely. And it's great. You have so many good stories to share with us in this book. Now, you talked about the part of the book called The Inner Journey. Uh, there you deal with things like anxiety and searching for peace or criticism, dealing with criticism or finding joy. Why is it so important to define ourselves by what we have versus what we lack in this regard? Yeah, thank you for asking about that, Chris. I I don't know about those who are listening to us right now, but I have always tended to compare my weaknesses with other strengths, which is unfair to them and to me. Now, there perhaps there are some who struggle with the opposite, uh, comparing themselves always positively to others negatively around them. But for me, it's been the opposite. Part of it's a generation I was raised in, but I've always tended to look at what I lacked rather than what I had. But about 30 years ago, in my late 30s, I was asked to uh, take a major leadership position in a faith-based organization in New England. And Chris, I have to tell you, I felt completely inadequate for that task. I remember saying to the Lord, I have perhaps 
of what this job needs. It involved fundraising. It involved planning conferences. It involved a lot of administration and travel, and none of which I felt capable for. But as I began to pray and read the stories of men and women to whom God had given significant uh, jobs in their later years, I realized that God was calling me to say yes, and that he was calling me to say, Maggie, what is it you have to offer? Don't worry about what you lack. I will supply that. One of my favorite verses, and I don't have my Bible in front of me, but I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5.24. It says, he who has called you is faithful, and he will do it. I have that over my desk in about 34-point font, because I've had to remember that just about every significant task I've ever been given in my life has been too hard for me. And in a sense, that's a good thing, Chris, because it's made me so dependent on God. And I love that story, and I tell this in the book of the widow with the oil in Second Kings. And when Elisha came to her, knowing they were about to foreclose on her family, I mean, she and the children could be taken and into slavery to settle uh, her late husband's debts. He didn't say to her, well, uh, my dear woman, what do you need? Because what she needed was everything. But he said, what do you have? And she said, well, I have a little oil. You know, and with that oil, uh, God multiplied it. And he filled every vessel in the house, every vessel that she and her family collected, right to the measure of the faith they had in collecting those vessels, God filled them. And that has been a powerful lesson to me, Chris. Uh, same, a similar story is told when God said to Moses, what do you hand? Well, I've got a stick. Well, what's a stick? But when we place our hand into God's hand and we surrender to him the little that we have, he multiplies it. And I often think too much we, you know, we, we define our lives by what we've lost, by subtraction and division. But God is the God of addition and multiplication and and that's a story I want to tell to my readers and to anybody who's traveling with us on the journey who needs someone to come along inside and say, you know what, I know how you feel. I've been there too. I've known times of great failure and of defeat. But that's not the end of your story. Just surrender the little bit that you have, the little bit of money, the little bit of time, the little bit of material resources, and let's see what God can do. And that's been one of the greatest lessons of my life, Chris, and a lesson I'm privileged to share in this life we share. Well, that's a, certainly a great lesson. Um, you also acknowledge that not every woman will marry or raise children. Now, in my case, I've been called dog mom, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which I'll take as a compliment, okay? Yes. But um, I like dog mom. I've heard of cat lady, but I like dog mom. Uh, yeah. I like that better. Yeah, there you go. Um, I have an older Shih Tzu at home who does require me to be his mom. But uh, anyway, um, in this life we share, uh, you um, talk about relationships in many ways. And in what ways have you seen women be non-traditional moms? Oh, one of my favorite stories and is about that of the Irish missionary Amy Carmichael, who was called to India in the late uh, 19th century and ministered there for 52 years without a furlough. In fact, Chris, when you mentioned in the intro that I'm a dramatist, one of the things I like to do as a dramatist is to do meticulous research, historical research about the lives of great women of the faith, one of whom is Amy Carmichael. 
and then travel telling their story when they're no longer here to tell it themselves. And what I love about Amy is she chose not to marry. She most likely had her opportunities, but she chose not to marry to because she did not want to be distracted from the work God has given her to do, which is not only to bring the gospel to South India, but to begin a ministry to India's forgotten children, the children that the term we would use today would be sexual trafficking. Uh, they would have known it as temple prostitution, where mm-hmm. poor families were persuaded to, quote, give their children to the gods. So now it's now it's work that we readily talk about in her era. It was not talked about, but she recognized what was happening. And by the end of her life, which she died a few years before I was born, I believe she might have died in around 1951, she had taken in over 800 children who called her Ama, which is uh, which is mother or mama in the Tamil language in India. So I love to tell her story as a spiritual mom. And of course, there are many others as well. Deborah, who's one of the most stellar uh, characters in the Old Testament. Deborah was a judge in a very patriarchal society. Uh, she was called, I think it's in the book of Micah, but uh, she was called a mother to Israel. So she was a mother in every way that's important. She settled disputes. She uh, was a counselor and advisor. She took, helped took care of the people's needs. She went to battle on behalf of her people. I mean, she was a mom in every way that motherhood mattered. So uh, I have a, a reflection in the book called More Ways Than One to Be a Mom. And you certainly don't have to marry or bear children to be a mother in God's eyes. And in a sense, we're all, I think every woman is called to be a spiritual mom to someone else. So, uh, so thanks for asking me about that. You're the first interviewer who has, and I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I, I love the concept of spiritual motherhood. I think that's beautiful. And uh, I mean, like in, in the Bible, we see the Apostle Paul speaking of himself as a father to his son, Timothy. Uh, so it's the same concept for women. Yes, very much. There's many wonderful stories. And in fact, Miriam, I mentioned a little bit ago, you know, at the age of, uh, well, she must have been at least 80. We figure probably 90 because she was older than Moses. But she became the worship leader for the people of Israel when they were on their move after the Exodus. And there's no mention of her having married. She may have been, but it wasn't pertinent to the biblical story. But she was a woman that God used powerfully along with her two brothers, Moses and Aaron. And I just love the fact that in Scripture, um, you know, we're, not, we're certainly not all called to what we might call the traditional family of, of a husband and wife and biological children. There are many like Amy Carmichael and others whom, who have, dare I say, a much richer life because they're able to have that laser focus on the work God has given them to do and, in a sense, take care of others' children. Uh, Mike and I raised three, I tell the story in the book, we raised three biological children, as I put it, from scratch. They were born to us. But we also took in children whose parents were no longer able to care for them. And and that's work I could have done. I'm, I'm glad I had a spouse to help me, but it's work I could have done, and many women do, uh, without being uh, married. So God doesn't have that the same plan for each of us. And that's, I think, a beautiful part of this plan. And I also have a chapter in the book, you've probably seen it, it's called Party of One This Way, Please. (laughs) Because it's about how important um, there are ways that single men and women can minister in a church context that where they have a unique advantage that someone who needs to turn their attention to their biological family might not have. And 
And I think in the church, we need to value singles, not just for the work they can do, but for, but for who they are and the richness of their lives. And, um, yeah, I tell a number of different examples of, of churches we, we were in where someone was called into the leadership, not just because they were single and the church felt they had more time than somebody who was home with children, but because they were uniquely gifted to do the work that, uh, that the church needed at that point whether it was leading a church council or uh, leading an outreach ministry, and it had everything to do with their qualifications and nothing to do with, with whether they were married and a mom or not. So I'm, I'm glad God has a unique path for each of us in that way. Absolutely. Well, Maggie, thank you for your insights on that. I want to close with uh, uh, an interesting uh, question that you bring up when we talk about the end of life. Um, it sounds like a very serious subject, but you say that uh, you've always thought your epitaph one day would read, she meant well, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, that really amuses me. But <laughs> so, it's my final apology to the world. <laughs> unsaid, undone, or I blew. Now, but, but you have chosen five words that really matter to you that kind of sum up your life, right? Tell us about that. I, I have, yes. Um, my husband and my family have strict instructions that if I predecease them, instead of writing she met well on my headstone, which is what I've always joked about for years, I want the words that, that I believe are one of the most beautiful, in a sense, epitaphs that Jesus ever spoke over a woman in the New Testament. And that was these five. She did what she could. That's from that beautiful story of the woman who anointed Jesus' head with oil when she busted into that gathering of men in Bethany and they wanted to get rid of her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Uh, what she has done will be talked about wherever the story is told. She did what she could. And for me, Chris, even in writing this book, I mean, it was hard to hit send because I thought, I've got 260 pages, but what about all the things that I haven't talked about? And I finally had to say, no, I've done what I can. And I hope that when I reach the end of my days, whether it's, uh, well, I'm 67 now, whether it's a year from now or 10 or 30 years from now, I hope that that's what Jesus will say of me. I hope not only will he say, well done, but I hope he'll say she did what she could with what I gave her to do the unique gifts and capabilities and talents and that, that I can joyfully go to him knowing that I didn't squander the resources that I had, especially time, which is really the most precious resource we have. So as you're my witness, Chris Johnson, those are the words <laughs> I want on my headstone. She did what she could. <laughs> well, that would certainly be a beautiful epitaph and most likely appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. well, please stick around for a long time to come, okay, Maggie? I mean, you've written well, thank you. You've written your first book, This Life We Share, and are there some future books in you too? Well, yes, you're you're the first one to ask me about that. I just signed a contract a month or so ago with Tyndale House for a devotional that will be coming out in February of 2022. So, two years, a little less than two years from now, and I can tell you that our working title is Life is sweet, y'all. So it'll, <laughs> it'll be, I live in the South, it'll be a bit Southern leaning. And that's all I can say about it for right now. But I am working on it. And I'm just amazed 
at the goodness of God in this season of my life that I have publishers who believe that uh, the older men and women have life lessons to share that are valuable for others to read. So, yeah, the next book will be called Life is Sweet, Y'all. <laughs> that sounds fun. So <laughs> if anyone wants to keep up with you on your blogging and also uh, learn more about this book, they can go to MaggieRowe.com, and R-O-W-E is your last name, MaggieRowe.com. Um, Correct. Maggie, would you close out this podcast with our prayer for our listeners as we all walk through life during this more difficult season? I certainly will. It would be an honor. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, even as Chris and I have had the privilege of sharing these last 30 minutes together, there are other brothers and sisters of ours who have been listening as they drive, as they work around the house as they are pursuing tasks with their vocations, as they are minding children, as they are scrubbing potatoes. And Father, it is a prayer that something in these last 30 minutes jumped out at them so they will know, oh, thank you, Lord. Uh, perhaps Maggie didn't intend to say that or Chris didn't mean to ask that question, but I think you put that there for me to both equip me and encourage me on this journey that I'm walking in. And Father, right now, along with the, uh, the team at Charisma, we do pray for all of those who are in a particularly difficult place, those whose relationships have been challenged or stretched or perhaps even uh, battered to the point of being broken by this very difficult year that we're in, those who are underemployed or unemployed and who are looking for work, those who are experiencing relational challenges with their children or have a child or grandchild or child who is in a far country spiritually and they're wondering will they ever come home oh father we pray for our listeners who are walking these hard roads right now that this very week they will receive encouragement as we boldly approach the throne of god for encouragement and help in our time of need may they know uh, the grace of that you have to offer them in these very difficult days father we pray this in the strong name of jesus your Son, and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Maggie. That was a beautiful prayer. And once again, your website is MaggieRowe.com. We appreciate your being with yes, us today. I, 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 you are so welcome. I'd, yeah, I'd love, I call it my online home, so I'd love to have uh, any of our listeners join me online. They can subscribe to the blog, and we, we talk about all kinds of things. So I'd be happy to have them visit with me there. Excellent. I'm Chris Johnson. You've been listening to Charisma Connection. Be sure to check out our new podcast on the ever-growing Charisma Podcast Network, as well as Strang Report and Green Lines for some exceptional interviews. Find it all at cpnshows.com. That stands for Charisma Podcast Network, cpnshows.com. Thanks to Ania for helping me in uh, production here today. And thank you, listeners, for listening. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible. 